0: We have never done a series quite like Camp ECC before. And so I wanted to say thanks to everyone who's been giving us feedback. And uh, most of the feedback we've been getting has been so positive and we're happy about that because we tried a lot of things the last couple weeks that we normally don't try here. But for a lot of you who had a great camp experience, this just brought back memories, you know, of campy songs and campy skits and and a lot lot of good memories. Now, we also know that anytime you do a, a, a series like this, there's going to be people who are not going to be tracking with it the same way because either one, you don't have a Christian camp background, you had never gone to one, and so you kind of feel like an outsider looking in a little bit, or or maybe you went to camp, and your experience at camp was anything but great. And so you're going, man, this is like opening up old wounds. Well, if if you did go to a Christian summer camp, and you had a great experience with that. I want you to press into those feelings with these last two weeks, especially this week. Because if what if we could take the things that were the best about camp and we could apply those same principles here, the ones that would apply. And I also wanna challenge those of you who didn't have any reference point at all for camp and you're feeling like an outsider looking in, or if you had a bad camp experience and you're like, man, my experience was being but great, I want you to press in as well because there's a whole lot of people when it comes to church who feel like outsiders looking in. And what can we learn from a, of, of this great idea of community that we're going to talk about today and apply it here so that nobody who attends our church ever feels like an outsider looking in? And what could we do so that those who've had bad church experiences, what can we do so that that doesn't happen here? So hopefully this is a message that's going to apply to everybody today because the camp essential that we're going to talk about this week, you, you can't have the other three without it. This one is essential. How essential is it? It, it? it is the equivalent of trying to have a burrito without a tortilla. And I'm not using hyperbole. If you ever been to Chipotle? How many have been to Chipotle? All right. Been to Chipotle, Right. Imagine you wanted a burrito, not a bowl, you wanted a burrito, not a taco, you wanted a burrito. You said, I want a burrito, and they tried to make it without the tortilla. That, that's like trying to do church or trying to do camp without community. It is that impossible. Or, or someone said, I want you to make me a great tomato sauce, but you can't use tomatoes. It's the, it is that difficult to have a great camp without great community. Or a great church without great community the third essential of the great camp that we're going to talk about today is great community it is absolutely essential to a great camp without it you can have everything else you could have great food at your camp you could have the best camp facility at your camp you could have the coolest toys at your camp you could have a fantastic worship band at your camp You can have all those things, but if you don't do community well, they're going to come away with a miserable experience. Miserable experience. But if you have great community, just about everything else can be ridiculously bad. And you can still have the best week of your summer. How do I know? Because I experienced that. My first shot at camp. I shared a little bit the last couple weeks about Camp Luther Dell. I had never been to camp before Camp Luther Dell, and it should have been the worst week ever. I should have came away from that week on paper saying, I'm never going back to this thing they call camp. My first camp experience at Camp Luther Dell, the food was not great. Not great at all. The facilities were not great at Luther Dell. That first week of camp, our entire worship band consisted of my youth director, his guitar, and a girl named Kathy. That was our whole worship band. They were everything, you know. Um, some camps, I find out later, some camps had water skiing. Some camps had game rooms. Some camps even had paintball. You know, we had at Luther Dell, we had leaky canoes. We had a old ping pong table and our rec equipment were socks full of flour. I'm not making that up. That was our big game. We had socks full of flour and we had to provide our own socks, all right? That was it. And then some camps, you see people coming back they got these great crafts. I made this in the craft room. You're like, that's amazing. Luther Dell that week, you know what the big craft was? Painting rocks. Not making that up. That was the biggest craft at Lutherdale that week, painting rocks. Now, Camp Lutherdale should have been the worst week of our summer. It should have been. The mosquitoes were the size of hummingbirds. The only air conditioning was an occasional cold front, and the beach was littered with rocks. Most of them painted. That's all we could do at Camp Lutherdale, paint rocks. Who goes to a camp like that? Who would go back to a camp like that? Well, after the week that we experienced, that one week 1985 all of us would all of us wanted to go back all of us couldn't wait to go back and it wasn't because of the food it wasn't because of the facilities because we experienced something special in community with God and one another most of us had never never experienced community like that before not in our neighborhoods not in our schools not on our teams and sadly not in our churches Most of us had never experienced that kind of community before. Well, one of the metaphors that God uses to describe his relationship with us and our relationship with each other as Christians is this metaphor of family. That's not something that people made up later and said, you know, it's kind of like, Christians, we're kind of like family. That's something God revealed about himself. He said, I'm your father. You, if you're in Christ, you're brothers and sisters. This is what God said. This is a a, a thing that God revealed. And I wanna encourage you to write this down in your notes. Um, this, is, this is huge. God made our adoption possible through the work of his son. He said, you are, you, are, you are strangers. You are aliens. You are enemies of mine. But through the work of my son, I've adopted you as sons and daughters. You're family now. You're family. In fact, the work of his son, when, when Jesus was asked point blank, he said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was all about welcoming people home. And at camp, many of us experienced for the first time what it was like to live as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we sang that song earlier, um, something about the presence. I'd never heard that song before today. That something about the presence is like heaven to me. Most of us, we had no reference point for that. If we would have sang that in our churches, we're like, your presence? What, what is your presence? We experienced God's presence, and we experienced it together, and it, it just changed us, and we wanted more of it. What we were experiencing, I've said this before in the series, what we were experiencing was a power that was at work in the book of Acts that is still active today. When Jesus of Nazareth walked this earth, he welcomed people into God's family. And when they experienced that, here's what they did. I'd encourage you to write this in your notes as well. The early Christians then welcomed others into God's family as Christ had welcomed them. They said, this is what Jesus did for us. He welcomed us. He said, you're my disciples. And so then they set out to do the same. Jesus welcomed others. We'll welcome them that same way. And we have a document in in our Bibles Mm -hmm. that testifies to this. It, It shows this early church. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Bible is a collection of ancient documents from different time periods, different locations, different authors. One of them is called the Book of Acts. And this was in a carefully investigated account of the early church, and we've been looking at that book of the Bible in this series. I want to show you something. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open to this verse and then leave it open here because I want to show you something with it. We're going to turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and even though we'll put it on the screens, I'd encourage you to to open up because I, I want to show you something. I also want to let you know, too, even though we ran out of water bottles, but we'll get some more, right? We're going to get some more from the back. Is there some at the back table now? Yeah, there are some at that back table. We do have Bibles. I see that still. So we have Bibles at that table, that table. They're there for you um, to take as a gift if you don't have a Bible. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 um, says this. In Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. There was this city called Antioch, And as we see here in Acts chapter 11, this is the place where this group of people, this new community, began to be known by a very specific name. The people began to call them Christians because of the way that they followed the example and teachings of the person that they called the Christ. So it was in Antioch, they were called Christians. Now, Antioch was a real place. In fact, it was a significant place. Antioch, if you do your history and find out that area that time, Antioch was the capital of the Roman province of Syria. And I believe only Alexandria and Rome itself were bigger. Antioch was a huge place, half a million people in that time huge city. And the people of this great city began to recognize there was a community within this community that was different from everyone else. They began to call them by a name. The name they called them was what? Christians. They said, these people, they're, what do we call them? Christians. They're like that Christ that they talk about. Now, here's the thing I want to show you and why I encourage you to open it up. If you turn just a little bit as we learn more about these Christians in Antioch, we come to chapter 13, and look what it says in this verse that would be really easy just to glance over, chapter 13, verse 1 we find out a little bit more about these Christians and one of the things that made them unique, one of the things that made them stand out from all of these other groups that were in Antioch, which was right on these travel lanes and really diverse area, but there was something that stood out. Here's one of the things that stood out about these Christians. We read this in Acts chapter 13, verse one. Now there were in the church where, at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, another guy who was member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now I wanna show you some of this list. Um, This short little list speaks volumes about these Christians because this is not a group of people that you would normally see hanging out together in Antioch. This is a very diverse group and usually diverse people, they kinda go their own separate ways. But here was this group, this church, this sacred assembly of people that was very diverse. If you know much about prophets and teachers, they don't normally get along so well. The Bible distinguishes between prophets and teachers, and, and normally they don't get along so well. But these individuals, this is even more so, Barnabas was a converted Jew from the tribe of Levi. His real name was Joseph, but he was given the name Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. Many commentators, if you read different commentaries on this part of Scripture, believe Simeon was a black man from Africa. Many commentators believe Lucius was from Liberia. And then there's this lifelong friend of Herod. Now, the Herod they're talking about here is a guy named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. This same Herod is the Herod that was a part of the trial in which Jesus was executed. This guy was his lifelong friend. And now he's a part of this new community that was very different than any community he'd been a part of. And then the last name on the list, Saul, his name gets changed to Paul. Does anyone know where it gets changed to Paul? Right here in chapter... Thirteen. If you just keep reading down, I think it's like verse nine. This is where his name gets changed to Paul, and it's pretty much Paul there on out. Paul was a former Pharisee who, at one point in his life, he would have hated everybody else in this list, or at least looked down upon them. This new church, these Christians, were a community like no other community. First-century documents. Acts and others testify to the fact that the early Jesus movement welcomed men and women, Pharisees and priests, lepers and nobles, Jewish peasants and Roman soldiers, tax collectors and zealots, Philippian jailers and Greek philosophers. You know, in our day and age where we we value diversity, at least we say we value diversity, we're used to this, there had never, this was precedent setting, there had never been a Community like this in the history of the world, ever, ever. This movement that brought so many diverse people together, and not the way Rome did. How did Rome bring people together? They made you be together. There will be peace. It will kill you, right? This was different. This is freely. People are entering into this community Willingly, people are entering into this community self-sacrificially. Wow. Why was Luther Dell so powerful in my life? Because this was the first time I ever experienced a community somewhat like this. Where people were in it together. There was Jesse, and I wish we had phones back then with cameras, right? because I wish you could see the pictures of these guys. I wish I could show you a picture of Jesse. Jesse was so redneck. He had this cat, this hat. He, you know how you, when bears, they skin bears and they, they stretch out their skins? He did that to a chipmunk on his hat. I'm not making that up. On his hat, he had a chipmunk skin stretched out like this. That's how redneck Jesse was. And then there was the Troy's girl, who later became homecoming queen, right? There was Pete, my friend Pete. He helped his ski team win the state downhill championships. Ally went on to sing in a band. Gully was a heavyweight wrestler. Michelle went on to be an executive at CBS. There was Amy. Amy was such a good girl. If you would have opened up the dictionary in 1985 and looked up the term good girl, there would be Amy Peterson's picture right there. No other definition needed. That was Amy. And then, in contrast to Amy, there was Rebel Ross. Rebel Ross probably set school records for detention in uh, his school, right? So there was all these people. And then there was Snake. He called himself Snake. Made up his own nickname, Snake. I want you to do this for me, please. Picture the kid in your elementary school that was the most picked-on kid in your elementary school. Just picture that kid. Got it? Everybody got it? That kid would have picked on Snake. This is where Snake was at in life. Everywhere he went on, he was the most picked-on kid, except at camp. At camp, Snake always had someone to sit with. Because if he didn't walk into the cafeteria with someone, you know, with their arm around him, we'd be like, Snake, you're at our table at chapel. Snake, I saved you a spot. Snake always had someone to sit with. Snake was never picked last at camp. You know why? Because we didn't pick teams at camp. That's why Snake was never picked last. We didn't want to do that to somebody at camp. Man, it was great. It, when we did do it, our goodnight hugs around the campfire, Snake would get mobbed, just get mobbed. And at free time, when people wanted to be out at the beach, you know, or, or people wanted to, to be painting rocks, or if people wanted to be out in the wreck field with our socks full of flour, you know, someone always made sure that there was somebody to play Risk with Snake, because that's what Snake wanted to do at free time, play Risk. I wish you could have seen that, but the one I really wish you could have seen is Luther Dell talent show. We had a talent show. <laughs> and guess who signed up to be in the talent show? Snake. And he did stand-up comedy. So here is Snake, most picked-on kid in anybody's school, and he gets up to do stand-up comedy in front of the whole camp. And you know what happened when Snake finished? The entire room just stood to their feet. Yeah! Go, Snake! We had this thing called the standing hole. People were like, oh! You know, it was just unbelievable. It was just a camp erupted. Cool girl Laura, cool guy Pete, er- redneck Jesse, Rebel Ross, everybody at camp was on their feet. Not because good girl Amy said, you know, we should all go applaud for Snake, but because that's just what the camp did. Where else does that happen? I'll tell you where it should happen. Every place that we gather as Christians. We had a little taste of this. Um, we went to a comedy, comedy event. It was being held at a church. We went to go see Kurt, and he, um, he's a hilarious guy, one of our, one of our members. And <clears throat> this other guy got up. It wasn't Kurt. This other guy got up, and, he, and he just he was dying up there. He couldn't remember any of his jokes. In fact, he told us he couldn't remember his jokes. And he brought out his iPhone, and he was looking for his jokes on his iPhone. And, and, and the encouragement in that room, we just sat. We all wanted him to succeed. And when he got up at the end of the night, we were way to go. And I, I talked to our girls afterwards, um, after we got done with the event. And I said, you know what would have happened if that would have been a comedy club? What happens to somebody when they're dying on stage at a comedy club? They just get killed, just killed. This was a church, and that room was filled with Christians, and that's not what we do. That's not what we do. Well, I'm going to give you another real-life example of how powerful community is because community, when we do community, right, it doesn't just draw in people who don't have another community to choose from. When community is done right, community, there is something about it that you're like, even though I have all these other communities in my life, I want in on that one. And I want to introduce Sarah to come on up here. A lot of you guys know Sarah, our new youth director. We'll have her come on up. And, uh, and I just want to ha- have her share something that she shared during our interview process. Now, we put her and Brandon through such a battery of tests when it came to the uh, interview process. But at one point, while we were I- interviewing Sarah, we... Um, we, I think it was Jennifer that asked you, she said, okay, with youth group, our, most of the kids in this area, they've got all kinds of options to choose from. They have got tons of activities. A lot of them are pretty affluent. They could be doing tons of things on Wednesday nights. What is it about youth group that we could do that would make them want to be there. And so could you share a little bit about um, what you shared with us?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The first service, he told me that I was gonna, he told everyone I was gonna do stand-up comedy. I was like, uh
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of put it on the spot. <laughs> and now Sarah's gonna come up and she's gonna do a stand-up comedy routine. You're gonna be just like you were for Snake. And she's like, really?
1: <laughs> yeah, but so when she, fun. she asked me that question during that interview, I wasn't taken back um, because when I was a student, I grew up in the church and I was extremely busy. Um, I was involved and involved and involved. So I did cross-country basketball and track and softball and student council and NHS, and I was in. Like, you named it. I was like, yes, I will sign my name up. I will volunteer. I loved school, sports, community. Um, And so I grew up in the church, um, but one of those things when I was in junior high and high school, it was like, all right, Wednesday night, my dad was like, you're going to youth group. And I was like, but... I have homework, and I have this, and I have that, and I have this. So it was one of those things that I didn't really have the choice in at first. Um, but as I continued to, to get older and get involved in more things, um, got a job and things like that, um, it turned into this place that I had to go to on a Wednesday night to this place that I wanted to go to. Um, because just like Pastor Chris was talking about, there is this draw of community. Um, because if I didn't show up on a Wednesday night, I got a phone call saying, like, hey, sir, I noticed you weren't, you weren't at youth group on Wednesday night. I was like, what? There's, like, you know, 50 other students. How, did, how was I noticed? But I was noticed and I was known. Um, and so it, was, it came to a, a place where I picked um, going to youth group over, over different things. And not because the other things were bad, but because I was so known at youth group and I, was so, I felt just so loved. Um, that is this place that I was I was drawn to come to because we did we had a really a really great community there.
0: Awesome. So tell us about the kind of community you would love to see us build here for our teens.
1: Yeah. So I was thinking about this um, after first service, and I was it's it's kind of a twofold because I want the students to feel to feel drawn to it to have a fun place to come um, where we can experience friendship and laughter. Um, and where we can be real about, you know, the students can be like, I, I failed my test. Like, I failed it, and I don't know how to tell my dad. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that. I want that to be a place for students can, that students can come. But also um, to, to recognize and realize that that would be great if students were coming, but if no one else was there, if it was just me or me there, that's not going to be a great community. But the, uh, the other part of it, to have great volunteers, great adults, that are going to be able to send that text message and be like, hey, notice you weren't here tonight. Um, and within that, we, like, as the adult leaders, create a community as well. Um, and that's, that's an, a fun place to be because when there's great community, you want to be a part of it. Um, so he said I could do a shameless plug, so Please I'm going do. to. <laughs> Please do. Please um, do. So, for youth group, um, I want to say to the students because I see some students out here right now, and I, I have no doubt that you're busy. I have no doubt that you have things going on and um, things that are are awesome and exciting and good. Um, and I, and I'm sure that some of you are like, "I've grown up in the church, I know I know youth group, or I literally have never stepped foot in a youth group in my life. Come, um, it's gonna be. It's going to be a place where I hope um, that God meets you, but also that you meet um, that you meet friends and a great community. So, as a student, I'm challenging you. Even if it's one week, give give it one week. Give it two weeks. Just just try it and see see how God surprises you. And then also for all of you, um, help out. I know that mo- some people are like, okay, yes, there, that's great and that's fine, but I'm. I'm, an adu- like, I'm a parent. My kids are in high school or my kids are in college. Like, I, I just can't commit to Wednesday night Like showing up every Wednesday night. There's other ways that you can partner with us as a, as a youth group. You can pray for us. Um, you, can, you can support us in a lot of different ways. But also, I, I know that some of you can come on a Wednesday night um, and be a small group leader and invest in the lives of our students here. Um, so if you are interested, my email is super easy, Sarah at so email me let me know how you'd be how, how you would love to help out whether that is through prayer or through um wednesday nights or even sunday mornings um yeah
0: awesome can we have a hand for sarah but also could i have the others who have helped out with youth group could you stand up let's give a hand for our whole youth team others who are part of that team brandon you're part of that team kelsey you're part of that team come on thank you you guys that's awesome now all right crowd participation right here here we go um is this something we only want for our teenagers, this kind of community? No. We want it for our kids, and we want it for who else? All of us, right? Let's quickly brainstorm a couple of things. What would that look like? Let's describe. What would be some characteristics of a great community, the kind of community that you want to be a part of or the kind of community that you would love to see us be? Let's, let's hear some of those things. What are some of the things? Welcome. Welcoming, absolutely. <laughs> Welcoming. Inclusive. Yes, real is so much easier to spell. So authentic, real, genuine. Yes, we're well, doing it. Because how many times have we seen, we've seen that where there's people, they feel like they have to put on a, a fake front for church? That is, this is the last place you would think, want someone to do that, right? Okay, what else? Welcoming, inclusive, authentic, genuine. Inviting. Inviting. And I like that works. is so loaded that we're inviting others to be a part of things. You guys got half your neighborhood here that's perfect. You said, as well as we feel invited into more things like softball teams, which you guys invite yeah. people into. Yes, right? You guys are down with some injuries. Can they still join? We need, guys. We need some more guys. We've had some, we have some, of, some guys my age and older that have just, we're trying, but man, we get hurt. Okay, what else? What are some other things? Awesome. awesome. Yeah, we want awesome community. I love how you said that too. With Gust, awesome. What else? What do we want this to be like? Yeah. Awesome. awesome and grossom. All right. Sounds like the two bros. This is like a wrestling, tag team wrestling. Awesome and grossom. What else? Encouraging. Encouraging. Yeah, we can, it's so easy to be discouraged in life. To have this be a place where you're encouraged. What else? Vulnerable and... A place to grow and a place to be vulnerable. V-O-L-U, vulnerable. What else? This is great. Yeah. Fun. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. A place where we can have fun. We could go on and on. This is, now, here's the thing. Does this happen all by itself? Please take out your notes. Write this down. Great community doesn't happen by default. Did you hear this? Great community does not happen by default. If we just sit back and wait for this to happen, the opposite happens because we're people, and people are really good at messing things up, right? So it does not happen by default. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about camp, and I pulled out one of my own old tra- camp training manuals, my old camp training manuals, and I looked through this, and about every other page really was about community. Almost every page, we had one that was said community top, but really every page was about building community. We we talked about how we're going to ban pranks from our camp. Wait, that's what camp's all about, pranking, right? You want to build community, one of the best ways to kill it is to start pranking one another. Because either you get pranked and you get hurt, or you don't get pranked. Why wasn't anybody pranking me? You can't win. So we banned pranks from our camps. We, we, we said we will not, and at least as much as it depended on me, I said you will not pick teams at this camp. Find a way to even it out as best you can, but do not pick teams. Snake gets picked, that's too much, you know? Another thing we said is no clumping, no clumping. Where some of you are at our camps, you know, no clumping is as leaders, No clumping. We said if we see our leaders together and there's not a bunch of campers around you, you go to the campers, right? Clumping. Just as leaders, just don't clump together. You be with the campers. So that was one of the things that we trained about. No clumping. We worked really hard. To make sure that the right campers were in the right teams and in the right cabins. The way we prayed through that and the amount of time that especially the person named Joyce Hire poured into to really get the right people in the right cabins so that we were hopefully able to build the right relationships. We worked really hard. In fact, we told all of our volunteers, learn everybody's name. Learn everybody's name. Everyone. Learn everybody's name. And then one of the other things we did is we, we gave every one of our leaders uh, two pads of Post-its and a pen. And we said, what we want you to do is we want you to write encouraging notes to everybody. Get them on their bunks. Put them on their Bibles. Stick them on their foreheads. And they literally would. Put them on their foreheads. Encouraging notes. And we want you to go through both of these Post-its. And it was so awesome because they would go through their Post-its and they'd come back for more. And we'd see. I still, I, I still see some of these Post-its. On people's bulletin boards and in their Bibles. What if we did things like that? What if every one of us who calls this our church home, what if we said, I'm going to try to learn two names every week of people I don't know? Do you know what a difference just that would make? What if we had a no clumping rule? We're great, we love it that we have great friendships that are forming here, but what if, if you're in a part of a group and there's not somebody in that group that's not already part of your friendship circle, you gotta go include someone else into it. What if we did some of those just basic kind of things? What if we came every Sunday saying, I'm not gonna stick a post-it on somebody's forehead, but I'm gonna find three people that I can give a word of encouragement to or an affirmation. I'm gonna go out of my way to make sure that we do that. What if we reverse engineered this list that we just made? We said this is what we would love to be. We'd love to be gross. and so if we want to be Grosom, what does it mean for me? What does that look like? What, What could I do? The words, they should, are killing our churches. Did you hear that? The words, they should, are killing our churches. I used to be quoting a stat that said 3,000 churches were closing their doors each year. I was wrong. That cha- number's changed since I've been using that quote. It's now the latest stats. I saw 7,000 churches in the United States are going to close this year. One of the reasons is they should. They should be coming. Really? Maybe you should be inviting. They should be offering this or that or the other thing or they should be more welcoming. Maybe, maybe there's an individual. Component to this. In fact, in your notes, I, I have this place for you to write this down. List seven ways that you can contribute to the growth and health of your church family. And I want to encourage everybody to do that. If we had more time, we'd do it right here in the service. Either by yourself, or maybe as a family, or with some friends. Get together. What are seven things that you could do? You could do. Not they should. We are they. Are they? What are seven things that you could do as you pray and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do to contribute to community that we could do? Here's a great quote from a pastor named Bill Hybels. He writes this. He says, the church may provide an environment where you can find friends, but it's your job to take the initiative. This is right. What we're challenging you to do is so countercultural. Because this is the expectation people walk into most churches. They're like, This church, help me find friends, help me find the group that matches me and the people that match me. And, and I'm going to sit back here, you know, with my arms folded. And tell, and why is no one friendly in this church? But you're scaring us. We think you don't want to talk to us, you know. What, what would God have us to do? We're so used to walking into organizations, and their staff, who are getting paid to do this, say, how may I help you? And we think everywhere we walk into, people should say, how can I help you? What should, if we're coming into a church, what should we be asking? How can we help the rest of you, right? Can you imagine how different that would be? Now, at camp, we could make people do these things. At camp, we could mandate these things, and we did mandate certain things, because we knew that there are certain things that lead to to community. And when we were working with the teenagers and kids, we could mandate these things. We assigned every camper to a small group, because we could, and we knew it was good for them. We assigned campers to teams. We, We made campers eat together. I'm not hungry, you're coming to eat. Meals are mandatory. We made them play. We had certain games that everyone got out there. If you're hurt, hobble your way to the rec field, and you're part of the cheering squad, whatever, you know? We made them be out there for that shared experience. Our chapels were mandatory, all of them, because each one built on the one that came before. And we had rules about how we treated one another. There were certain behaviors that were unacceptable, and the kids would say, yeah, but isn't camp about the individual and saying, it sure is, and you're one individual, and you will not destroy it for the rest of these individuals. There are certain behaviors that are just not okay, and we're going to give you one strike, two strikes, three strikes. I'm calling your parents because we all will contribute to this, and even though some people were not used to these kind of expectations, what? I have to eat when everyone else eats? I have to participate when everybody else participates? I got to play nice? By the end of camp, Almost every person couldn't wait for next year because we were able to experience something amazing. And here's the thing at camp, we could make people do those things. Do you know what they call churches that make people do things like that? Cults. Cults. That's what we call them. Cults because it can't work that way for adults. It shouldn't work that way for adults. It's got to be freely. It's got to be willingly. It has to be self-sacrificially rather than what will I get out of it. And the blessing is we end up getting more than we receive because this is what we all wanted anyway, to be a part of something, to be a part of a community like that. So I would encourage you, as much as it depends on you, to list seven things that you could do, as individuals, maybe as a family, to help us, because this is what we all want. This is what God wants. And this is what the early church experienced. The classic community passages. Acts chapter two is one of them. Real quickly, Acts chapter two, starting at verse 42 says this, and they, this new group of new believers, this new community, before they were even being called Christians, they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And day by day they attended the temple together and they broke breads in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their day, number day by day, those who were being saved. A similar summary can be found in Acts chapter 4, verses 32. So it says, now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them were their own. They had everything in common. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Why in both of these passages where community was being done so well, why was the number growing? Because one, God was sending people their way. Two, because this is what they really wanted. This is what everyone really wants. I would encourage you to write this one last thing down. We'll do a better job of reaching out well if we reach out well, what? Together. God will bless it, and the people God entrusts to our care will be blessed. It will not happen by default. It will not happen by default. So I'd encourage each one of us to be asking God, what's my part? Now, what we're going to do is hit pause, and we're going to pick up here next week because next week, I think this is really going to be important teaching. Next week we're going to see what happens after chapter 4. People when they look at the book of Acts, they talk about the early church, they're very quick to say, "Look at what was going on in the early church. They were loving one another. They were there there's great community." Well, what happens in chapter 5, 6, 7, 8 and on? It wasn't all like that. All kinds of challenges People started coming, so they're like, now they have to come up with new structures and new ways to delegate. And there's all kinds of doctrinal differences that come up. And remember Barnabas and Saul, who were together in 13? Well, they weren't always together. They had to say, we agree to disagree, and they went their separate ways. There's all these different dynamics happening. So what we're gonna look at in the book of Acts is what did they do when these challenges came up as we look at great teamwork. So that's what we'll pick up next week. Let's pray, let me pray. Father, thank you. You're such a good God, and thank you that what you're inviting us into is such a great thing, this great community. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would hear from you so that we could do what you're asking us to do, because we are unique individuals, and we bring unique gifts and talents into this mix and personality types and dispositions, and if every one of us was everything that you asked us to be, there would be nothing like it anywhere else except where your people are doing the same. Lord, I want to pray specifically for individuals who have never consciously said, God, I want to be a part of this family, that even today, they would turn to you and they would say, God, would you be my father? Would you adopt me as your son and daughter? And that they would repent of of going their own way, repent of their sins, turn to you, that their sins may be forgiven, and they would be welcomed home. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If that's you or if you have anything you'd like to pray about, we got people that would love to pray with you in the back. God bless you. Have a great week.